Hey folks, Dean Douglas here. Welcome to the Dean Douglas Show. I am super excited to make a couple of announcements before I dive into the bio of today's guest. First being that I am in the process of rebranding the show. Uh, It was formerly known as the Simple to Understand podcast, and I have realized that I am the brand and should be just putting myself out there more. And I've been doing this a lot more as of the last, I'd say, couple months, and it's only benefited me. Any fears that I've had about putting myself out there, which I think that's a very common fear, um, has just not, like none of those fears have actually come to fruition and actually the opposite has happened and it's been wonderful putting more of myself out there and uh, it's been very well received, welcomed and uh, it's been nice to connect with a lot of people digitally as well. I've taken a two-year social media cleanse where I was off social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. Um, Just took a break. I was plugged in a lot with the last place that I worked at a couple years ago and um, decided to go back on but am more intentional with what I am sharing and yeah, I think just more present and not just aimlessly absorbing content online and am a little bit at least trying to be more mindful and present in what I'm consuming as well as what I'm sharing. So um, that's a little bit of a preamble, but long and short of it is I'm excited to uh, put myself out there more and uh, hope you guys really like um, just the more content that I will be sharing down the road. And uh, so from this episode onwards, it will be known as the Dean Douglas Show. Super excited. Thank you to everyone who provided feedback on whether or not I should do this. Um, Your feedback was very helpful and insightful, so I really appreciate that. And the second announcement is that I am back on Instagram. Um, You can find me at Dean Douglas show and as I am recording this intro right now I'm also doing a live where you can also watch me stumble through about 10 takes prior to this one on (laughs) me recording an intro it's quite entertaining so uh, feel free to check that out Uh, Once again, that's at Dean Douglas Show on Instagram. And I've also switched over the URL to the website, so you can find it at www.deandouglasshow.com. All the show notes to all episodes, including this one and the previous ones, are found there. Um, So it's no longer simpletounderstand.com, but it will be deandouglasshow.com. And uh, that is that. So... Without further ado, uh, let's dive into the bio of today's guest. And my guest today is Robert Borgerson. He is a mathematics professor at the University of Manitoba, also known as U of M, which is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And actually, he was my second applied finite mathematics prof when I attended U of M. I was 17 years old at the time, and I failed the first time around with a different math prof. Math was never my strong suit. Um, And the reason why I passed the second time around was a big part of it due to Rob's teaching style, 
his communication and approach. So thank you, Rob, for that. In this episode, we chat about Rob's journey to becoming a math prof, COVID-19 impacts on education from a professor's perspective, how to be successful in post-secondary education, whether taking in-person or virtual courses, possible adjustments to online learning that would benefit students, the importance of volunteering, finding your why before going to university. That's a big one. And uh, we spend quite a bit of time talking about that, which is, I think, really uh, important. However, the real meat and potatoes of this episode is when we dive into money. In Rob's spare time and on the side, he started up a business called We Pay Off Debt, which focuses on personal finance support and making a difference in people's lives financially. His personal finance journey includes paying off $41,000 in debt in about 18 months. He has built up a $21,000 emergency fund, and he's also started to put money towards retirement and his kids' education fund. Also, we talk about the importance of not having a credit card as it relates to getting out of paying down debt, and the family now is currently paying down their mortgage. And I hope to do a round two with Rob and talk about the order of the things that I just mentioned and why this is important. It is important, and uh, I hope we dive into that in a round two. And a key point here I want to also highlight is that he and his wife did all of this without making any substantial raises. He did go out and make uh, some more money, but only because they wanted to pay off more debt. And in a round two conversation, I'll dive into what those things were. Um, So stay tuned for, for more fun. A bit extra info on Rob. He was one of those kids who knew what he wanted to be when he grew up, in this case, a math teacher. He did his master's in mathematics and has been teaching since 2005. He teaches typically six courses per year and spends 80% of his work time actually teaching. We dive into other professor scenarios in the episode in terms of what time is spent towards teaching and research. And lastly, for the first time on my podcast, this episode has freebies available for anyone listening to this episode. So head on over to www.wepayoffdebt.ca forward slash Dean for a couple of freebies associated with financial support. If you have any questions related to finance and anything discussed in this episode, you can reach out to Rob via email at rob at wepayoffdebt.ca. And once again, head on over to www.wepayoffdebt.ca forward slash Dean. Thanks so much for listening to that long-winded intro. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Cheers. Right, we are live. Robert, thank you for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Good to be here. So uh, I thought we would just start by sharing and providing some context with uh, whoever's listening or watching this with how we are connected and how we know each other. And I'll give my recollection and feel free to add in any bits that I miss because it's been a while since we've uh, spoken. And uh, so you were actually... Uh, my math teacher in university, it was the, I did right out of high school. I went straight to U of M 
and I was at U- University of Manitoba, <clears throat> excuse me, and I was there for, I think I did about a year and a half of U1 cor- courses, and because podcasts can get picked up anywhere U1 is basically the first year of university, you have to take a lot of prerequisites before you get into any uh, program. And, uh, and one of those prerequisites, so I had to take math. And I think it was applied math. I don't remember the exact so title I'm, I'm thinking of the you course. you were in applied finite uh, math 1010 or 101. Depending yeah. On yeah, that's right. And, uh, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but I actually took that course. It was either the year before or the semester. I think it was the year before. And I failed it. And I had to retake it. And, uh, and I really, enjoy, it was like a night and day difference. And I can credit you for how you taught the course. And uh, not to uh, put the other math teacher under the bus or anything, but I, um, I really enjoyed the way that you taught and communicated math. And I think that is something that can be definitely individualistic to each teacher's got their own style. Obviously, you've got to follow a curriculum, but I really enjoyed your style of teaching and I, I learned through the way that you taught a course. So I wanted to say thank you. And that's, that's kind of my, my context into how, how we know each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I love teaching. I've been teaching for many, many years now. And, um, but here's the thing. One thing I've discovered is that um, if you liked me, great. A thousand people don't. <laughs> my uh, one of my biggest worries is when I go through a drive-through at uh, at McDonald's or something, and the person there says, "Oh, hey, you, uh, you know, I was in your class." Never know quite know how to take that. <laughs> it could be one or the other. Like, 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 am I am I gonna am I gonna get something special on my burger? Like, what am I am I gonna get here? Right. <laughs> so it makes me a bit nervous sometimes, but uh, yeah. This has been many years now, and I teach about, uh, I teach six courses a year, and the average course has 120, 140. They're now pushing 160, 180 these days. Uh, Students. Each, so, yeah. So it adds up pretty quick. Yeah, and I went to college after um, going to U of M. So my story, short and sweet of it, is that I did a year and a half at U of M. Didn't know what I wanted to go into or major, so I took a year off and uh, went to Australia with a friend of mine and we worked and traveled and uh, did that whole thing for a year and then came back and then went to college, uh, Red River College in Winnipeg and then majored in marketing and went into business and it was a two-year program. So I have both the university experience and then the college experience and I know yeah, I'm not surprised with the numbers you were talking about in your classes. The university definitely has large, you are, you are a number, more so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, what's your, your background? How did, you, how did you get into teaching and specifically math? So I, I graduated high school in uh, 2000. Uh, and, um, and at that point, I, knew, I already knew I wanted to be a teacher. Always, and I always loved math. And so, when, like, I was the kid at six or seven years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say I'm a mathematician. Mm. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a nerd, pull out. Uh, and so, 
come into high school, I was actually helping uh, friends all the time with math, and I would I would I would you know give them tutoring and stuff like this. Uh, so now I entered university, and I felt like I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I loved math, and I also loved programming, computer science. And so I came across this joint program, which was awesome, and I took that. And it was a joint math computer science, and so at the end of it, um, you essentially have an honors degree in both, uh, but not quite. Uh, and so you cancel out a few of the highest level stuff um, in both of those. Uh, but at the end, you're, you're essentially qualified for a master's in both. And I was qualified for a master's in both, which is nice. I didn't know at the time, but uh, I was very, very lucky getting in that program. Uh, about 20 or 30 of us were in the program to start, and only um, three of us graduated. So it was, a, it was a very hard program. I didn't realize when I started, but I'm so glad I did it now. Um, but I graduated from that in 2004, uh, and then at that point went straight into a master's. Uh, and, the, and again, at that point, I knew that I did not want to teach high school. Um, I didn't know that when I started um, uh, university, but uh, by that time, I definitely knew with seeing a lot of the politics that went along and a lot of the issues that went along with teaching high school, did not want any part of that. And uh, so going to, going to my master's was a means to an end. I wanted to, be, wanted to teach university, and they required a master's to do that. So great, let's do it. Mm -hmm. uh, I decided on a master's in math. Um, and at the time, again, I, I didn't realize how big a difference there was between a master's in math and a master's in comp sci. And so I went back and forth because I was qualified for either. And I would go back and forth trying to figure out which one it was. Uh, and I eventually settled on math. And I'm so glad I did because uh, for various reasons. But um, when I, so I, I went to my master's and probably in my first summer after starting as a master's student, so I started my I started uh, my master's September 2004. In the summer of 2005, I taught my first course. And, uh, and, and I've been teaching essentially ever since. Took a little break when I was trying to finish up my thesis. But uh, I fin uh, finished up my, my thesis, graduated in um, spring of 2008. Uh, and so I had taught a, a number of se sessions as a sessional, where you're just hired for the course and that's it, uh, while I was doing my master's. And then uh, fi finished... Uh, my master's, and at that point, I became a full-time sessional. So I'm just hired for a sessional instructor position, uh, and then I lose the job at the end uh, when it's over. Hired again, lose it when it's over, and that's that's a hard way to life because you're paid very little. Uh, you have no vacation, no benefits. It's just contract work, and um, and no job security at all. Right? Um, but I did that for only two years. There are people at if you go to U of T, people people do this for 20 years. Like it's, it's, it's insane. I don't know how people live that way, but they do. Wow. Uh, I was very, very lucky that two, year, two years into doing it, the, uh, another faculty instructor position came open. I applied and I got it. And that was, um, that was 2010. 2010, I think so. It's been a while. I'm forgetting now. So <laughs> getting old, but uh, yeah, it was uh, 2010 when I got the instructor position, I think. And, um, and so from that point, I've been a faculty instructor. So uh, my job, I am, a fa I am a faculty member in the math department, but the, um, the job is, whereas a professor's job is normally 40% uh, teaching, 40% research. And so they have this equal research and, uh, and teaching uh, requirement, and then they have 20% on top of that service, so committee work and stuff like that. I'm 80% teaching and 20% service. And so my, my job is almost entirely teaching. And I love it that way. So I teach uh, right now six, six courses a year. 
Uh, and um, with, like I said, average class sizes and, you know, 120, 140, 160, and they're trying to move it up all the time. <laughs> It'll be 200 soon, but. Yeah. Well, thanks for explaining one, your journey and also how, how that works. I think that's helpful for anyone that might be interested in, in going that route and knowing kind of the different options that are available. Um, and we were talking a little bit before we started recording and to the extent that you, that you can <clears throat> talk about it. Um, how has your life changed being a teacher amidst COVID and switching everything um, to digital? Yeah, it's been very hard. I mean, uh, I, I can say, for instance, that the, the, the distance ed versions of our courses are always some of the worst done courses. Um, like you have the biggest failure rates and uh, many, many student struggles. And really, because it, it takes a certain kind of person to be willing, like to have, you have to have a certain character to actually be self-driven enough to do well at a distance ed course, right? Um, and it was brutal for all the students this past term where all of a sudden, all the courses became distance ed courses, right? Through no fault of their, like they, they didn't want distance ed courses. They didn't sign up for distance ed courses and that's what they got. So um, it, it was definitely a hard transition. It took a lot of time and effort on everybody's part. Um, in the end, what I decided to do was I actually uh, recorded my lectures, um, uh, uh, recorded my lectures and posted them for the students to watch at their leisure. Uh, for all the remaining classes. And so uh, everything that was left unsaid when we stopped uh, March 13th, I made videos for everything else. And, uh, and then the class time, uh, we would actually have um, a live uh, time on Zoom where I would be answering questions, doing examples, that kind of stuff. So um, that worked well enough, um, but um, it's, again, you run into the issue of speed. Because in the classroom, I can blast through three sections and then, you know, you as the student sitting in the chair, you're, you feel this pressure of, oh man, I got to actually keep up. I got to get going. Uh, but with what I just described, I, like I'll, uh, the pressure comes from the one note I put up, which is, here's the schedule you should be trying to maintain. Right. Right. And so what happens is a huge chunk of the class gets behind. A huge chunk of the class does not go as fast as they should, and, uh, and, and therefore they don't get as far through the material as they should, as fast as they should, and they end up struggling a lot more and don't realize it until it's too late. Mm -hmm. And I think certain classes, I, that's a good point too, thinking of uh, just any, doesn't even have to be math related, but any courses that went digital, some courses are uh, and it's subjective as well, what I'm about to say, but, uh, some, some courses I think would be easier than others to learn through distance ed, um, math for me, cause I'm not a math person. I would find it very challenging doing, cause that's just not a strong point, uh, or wasn't a strong subject for, for me to, to do that on distance or through distance, I think would be very challenging, more so than some of the other courses. Yeah, the, the more you enjoy it, the easier it is to do distance. Yeah. Because you will spend time on it because you want to and because you, and you will think about it because you're excited about it. And, and yeah, quite often in math, that's not the way people think. They're in, math, they're in their math course because it's the requirement for their program and that's the only reason. <laughs> yeah. There's certainly a lot of people who are there because they love it and I love those guys, but um, those people, but the, uh, yeah, there's a huge chunk of the audience who's there only because they have to be there. Mm -hmm. and, 
So yeah, when distance comes around, it's not that math is so uninteresting to them, they don't do it. It's that everything else in their life is so interesting, <laughs> right? There's so much more interesting to do than to focus on their math class. So they don't. Yeah. How, how have you, um, have you changed a lot in your uh, teaching? Did you have to change a lot in your teaching style going from in person to, to digital? So yeah, it's, it's frustrating when you're just making a video there, you get no, like nobody's even on the call the way I was describing it. Right. So I'm just making these videos where it's complete. Like I get zero feedback from any audience. I don't, I don't get any impression how people are doing. Um, and then, um, so, so those are very different. It's just me speaking to a white, a white screen on my laptop and I'm writing the details out and I'm going through slides and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then when class comes, uh, yeah, it's, it's very much a, it's hard to get started because you're like, all right, let's get going. Like there's no exam, there's no, uh, topic to move into. Right. I mean, we, we, I can artificially create one and say, well, Hey, like, uh, let's talk about section 12.7 or something right? like, like I can, and I'll throw, I can throw up an example to get, get sort of things started. But, um, it's, it's, it's just a very, very different environment, a very different setup. Uh, it take, the way I did it, like I said, it takes a lot of self-starting from students. And at this point, I'm trying to look into ways to do that without or to do that for to help the students that are, are not self-starters. I was not a self-starter. So I definitely want, want to help people like me who are there, right? Yeah. Um, one of the ways that's been suggested, and I like it, is, is actually doing more tests more often but are shorter. Uh, so to do even a weekly or even two twice a week tests. Uh, and the whole point there is that you have an instant feedback first off of where you're at and how far, you know, uh, how far, if you're behind or ahead or whatever. Right. Um, and it, um, it, it, it gives you that, that, uh, that whip, you know, that whip behind your back to get going. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you know, like, if you've got a test on Thursday on topics, you know, 12.1 to 12.5 and you're still in chapter 11 on Monday, well, this gives you a little bit of a whip to actually get on it and, and, uh, and go through it. And what, what happens if you're not careful, if you don't, if you have less tests, well then that midterm is three weeks away and that covers everything from chapter one to chapter 12. And, you know, so two weeks into the course, you should be in chapter eight, but you're only in chapter three and you don't really notice. Right. And, and you don't think about like, you could just go and, you know, look at the schedule and, and see where you should be. But most people don't think about it if it's that far out. So that's, that's the real challenge I think is, is communicating the expectations of speed in a way that's, that's uh, realistic and uh, has uh, immediate feedback. Yeah. It's a big adjustment too. Like just uh, I've been working from home um, and just having, so what I've done that has helped me is that I also balance working from home with also working um, now that things are starting to open up, at least here in, in BC. Um, there's a co-working space that is close by. And so I'll go there and work at least once a week. That's going to be my goal is to at least get out of the house and go somewhere and work once a week. But it's really hard when obviously we're all quarantining um, and we have to work or go to school or do whatever it is that we need to do that was traditionally outside of our home in our home. 
and uh, there's a lot of distractions and tough. Uh, it's it's tough to still do what you need to do, and especially if you have kids, and now you're filling the role of oh, I have a full time job, but now I'm also full time taking care of the kids, or you know whatever. So, um, it's 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 definitely challenging. Is there things that you would encourage uh, students? or anyone that is wanting to do an online course, like set up at home or like just things that you can do to set up your space to just help you focus and, and uh, like crack the whip, like you said, to, sure. to do yeah. the work. Um, the, the first thing is you've got to have a goal. Um, well, no, that's not the first thing. Actually. The first thing would be, you've got to have a why. Like, why are you there? Right. If because uh, and with math, especially math is hard enough for most people that if you don't have a solid reason why you're there, a lot of people drop out. I mean, it's, it's normal in a calculus class to have a third of the students fail, uh, drop out. Right? A, a VW voluntary withdrawal. And um, and that's kind of scary when you realize that the people who are in that room took three years of pre-calculus. Right. Like. Like, just think about that. If you, if you took three years of pre-driving and then you had a driving class and a third of the class drop out, like, what were you doing for those three years of prepping for that course? And why is this course, why are you not prepped, right? Uh, so there's, a, there's definitely a lot of issues there. Um, but to have a why, like, for me, what it was is I wanted to teach university. Like I wanted to eventually be a teacher. And... Um, there were many times, especially in my master's where, um, I had to hold on to that because <laughs> it was really hard. Uh, and I had to say, okay, I'm going to get through this because I want to eventually do, do that. So that's the first thing I would say is you got to have a why, like, why are you in this course at all? Can I hit pause for one second? I think that is very key because I didn't have a why and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so it was good to experiment and try a bunch of different courses. Uh, however, I didn't have a why. So, so when it was challenging or really hard, um, my why wasn't there to like push through some of the challenging courses that I was doing. So for personal experience, I found it helpful to take a break and take a year and go travel and work and get some life experience under your belt. Um, that year, even though it was in Australia and there was plenty of good times, I worked my ass off at many different jobs that were tough to get. They were cash jobs. They were very like labor intensive jobs. And it kind of got my butt into gear on, I don't want to do these jobs for the rest of my life. And so I wanted to come back to go to school to get uh, some sort of background education in something. I had a stronger why after I got a little life experience. So I think that was, that was helpful for me, but I, I could see it being a challenge too for a lot of students um, going back to like that go through university, there's a lot of them that don't really know what they want to do and they haven't spent a lot of time on that, on that finding the why. It's, it's more, it's, it's, it's even deeper than that. I think because in North American culture, what do teenagers do usually? 
like the entire expectation on teenagers these days is, is, uh, you know, stay in school and don't get pregnant. Right. Or don't get anyone pregnant or don't do drugs like that. that like that's almost the extent of it too, uh, like too much. Right. Like the, like when you're a teenager, it's such an amazing blessing in today's world where you've got all the capabilities to do anything. By the time you're 16, as, as a, a guy or a girl, you've got all the capabilities, except for a brain sometimes, which is unfortunate, <laughs> but you've got basically all the capabilities physically to do anything and everything. Um, and, and what ends up happening in our culture is people go the direction of, oh, I can do anything and therefore I'll do nothing. Right. They, or they, or like, let's just, let's just live the hedonistic lifestyle of have as much fun and feel as good as I possibly can. Yeah. Right. Whereas you could just as easily say, I'm going to see, you know, let's, let's go dive in and let's see if I can, I can be the youngest person ever to start a business or the youngest person ever to own, to be a millionaire or the youngest person ever to help a million people or the youngest person ever to build a, a school in Haiti or the youngest, like, like nobody, thinks of those as an option. Right. And, and unfortunately we as parents don't do good enough, do a good enough job of pushing our kids to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's something I want to do is I want, as as my kids, my oldest is nine now, uh, as he's getting older, I want to, I want him to see that like he can be a superhero even at a young age. Mm-hmm. Right? That's something I've, uh, we've talked a lot about with, about with him and, and his, his younger brother now too is that they can actually make a difference in the world today. Um, and so as they get older, I want them to have a why before they get to university. Because the and what my situation was is exactly that. I lived the hedonistic lifestyle in, uh, in, um, in high school. And what that looked like for me was just playing video games nonstop. Mm-hmm. Right? I would go to school and I'd be home by four and I would literally be on video games from 4 p.m. till two in the morning, mm-hmm. every day, all day. Uh, my, my favorite story, uh, was from in this, uh, grade 12 spring break. I did an experiment where what I wanted to do is I wanted to be up playing video games, 18 hours every day. And at the same time, get 12 hours of sleep every night. Okay. So think about that for a sec. <laughs> First off, that's how little life I had. I wasn't planning to go to the, you know, go to the beach with friends or no, I just, I just wanted to play in my basement. But, um, but you, those, those don't add up. I hope, hope you hope the people listening notice that, right? Is that 12 hours of sleep and 18 hours of 30 hours. And so what happened was, um, like, let's say the first day of spring break, I'd be, uh, uh, getting up at, let's say six in the morning. Well, I go to bed 18 hours later. So six and six would be 12. Uh, and so another six hours after that. So we're, we're looking at, um, I can't do simple math. Uh, 6 p.m. at another uh, six to that was midnight. Yeah, so you're going to bed at midnight, but then you sleep from midnight till noon, and so you get uh, 12 hours, and so now you get up at noon and you stay up 18 hours, and so that's noon to midnight, and then 6 a.m. you're going to bed, right? And then you sleep till 6 p.m. and and so uh, it, my day rotated throughout the week like this, uh, and and it worked out perfectly. I was so excited. I got up for school at 6 a.m. Monday morning. Wow. And so I basically what it came down to was I lost an entire day in that yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um but that was that was my lifestyle. My parents let me let me do it. They let me get away with it. And 
And it was completely all about, you know, how can I feel the most pleasure? How can I have a lot of fun? Yeah. All came down. And yeah. so, yeah, when I like, I was just very lucky that I had a why when I got to university because I knew I actually wanted to teach. I actually enjoyed teaching, but because of all that, all that wasted time, I also had no work ethic at that point. So you put all this together and the, the, the average person in my classes is coming in with very little work ethic and very little why. Or you did have work ethic, but it was towards <laughs> video games. And unfortunately, Twitch wasn't around back no, then. No, was no Twitch. So you couldn't make any money off playing video games. Yeah, and mining hadn't even started yet. World of Warcraft came out while I was a, while I was a, a student, so a university student. So. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I wanted to hit pause on that point because I think that's that's very crucial and that is a great uh, starting point is is to spend time on on your why. I mean I'm uh, thirty I'm thirty one and I had to think about that for a sec and uh, I mean I'm still figuring out my why and like what I want to do and it's constantly going to change as well. Um, so. I don't think you need to have all this pressure of um, this is what I'm going to do for my entire life. Cause that is very hard to predict, but um, try to spend some time reflecting on things that do excite you, give you life. And uh, um, if I could encourage anyone to do anything or where to start, like spend some time volunteering. I've talked about this on my podcast a number of times. That's actually a really good way to um, one, get out of your head and you're helping someone else in whatever capacity that is in whatever setting that is. But volunteering um, is a great kind of easy free thing to do that can have an enormous um like tenfold benefit coming back. It could lead to potential employment. You can expand your network. There's so many reasons uh, why volunteering is so great that I would highly encourage anyone out there if they're, if they're in the process of finding why, or just, I don't know, throughout your life, I think it's, it's important to give, give back and, and donate your time and experience to anything. Well, in, in a real practical sense, it gets you out of your bubble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially you, you grow up in suburban, you know, uh, uh, middle-class Canada, uh, America, whatever you're, you, you're in a particular bubble. You don't get to see certain things. So like I, like one of the books uh, I would definitely encourage um, to take a look at, there's a book called uh, passport to the land of enough. Uh, you'll find it on Amazon if you look, but it, what it does is basically just a short, uh, very small book, very short book. You might even have it, but, um, it, uh, it just goes through and talks about how people live, uh, across the world. Mm. And it just, it just tries its best to pop your bubble <laughs> and realize that, um, it's not normal the way you're living. Everybody thinks the way you're living is normal, but like the majority of the world lives in an incredibly different way than you do. Totally. Way less money, especially for, if you're, if you're in North America, you know, they live on way less money. They live, uh, uh, way less comfortably. Uh, they have way less benefits. <laughs> they have, uh, way more potential things that can go wrong. Right. And, um, and that, that costs us in some ways, right? We, we were, uh, 
I, I can say for myself, I'm, I was very soft and I continue to be soft. You're, you're 31. I'm 37. I'm mm-hmm. not that much older than you. And so I'm like, I'm still learning myself as well where, um, yeah, realizing that, uh, like I, I, I get so shocked when I hear certain things, um, that it's, uh, and I shouldn't get shocked like that because mm-hmm. they're, it, it's, it's, it's very normal. Like to, to hear, for instance, that uh, after a, uh, a typhoon or something that hits the Philippines, uh, the first people on the ground are not the Red Cross. The first people on the ground are the human traffickers. Hmm. Right? To hear something like that and to realize like the, the intricacy that goes along with, with that kind of situation, like, like how much infrastructure is built so that the guys who want to do, do nasty things to kids are on the ground first. Right. Like that's the kind of scary stuff that's like, what kind of, like, like what kind of world do we live in? Right. Yeah. And, but it's, but that's more normal. <laughs> like North America is this beacon of just abnormality that has never existed in the history of the world. Totally. Right? That, that reminds me of a quote, uh, that's uh i'll paraphrase it but basically those who are shocked should be shocked more often sure yeah something like that but goes to exactly your point there yeah totally yeah so um, and, and the last thing in terms of finding your why in university um mm-hmm. it doesn't like i don't think you need to have a um I, cer- I certainly don't think you have to have a year off and travel the world and uh, no it certainly helps people but you, you can um but um your why for your first year university might very well be, I want to get a better idea of what I like and I want to absolutely kill these courses I'm taking, even if I don't like them. Because, because you're going to develop grit and you're going to develop a staying power and discipline and you're going to learn how to study maybe for the first time in your life and you're going to learn how to write an essay maybe for the first time in your life or um, like the skills you develop by being willing to sit down and do something uh, that you don't enjoy. That skill will be will benefit you for the rest of your life. And if that's your entire why for your first year, that might be enough. Totally. Right? Yeah. But and then at the end of that first year, you might have a better idea of where you're going and what you decide to do. And that so that that's basically what I recommend people do that don't don't have any idea what they want to do is you come in to university, you do a little little uh, smattering of things you've enjoyed maybe in high school or things you want to learn more about, things you want to know more about. And then after even the first term, you can um, course correct, right? I, uh, you were quoting, like one of my favorite quotes is, is this idea that, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to turn a stopped ship. Hmm. This idea that is, like if you're a ship moving, you can just make a rudder adjustment and now all of a sudden you're going this way instead of, instead of where you were going. And the rudder adjustment's easy to make. Whereas if you're stopped, go ahead, turn the rudder all you want. It's not going to do anything. That's a great point. Yeah. Right? I love that. So at the very least, like, uh, so I tell people all the time, like if you're, if, if, if it takes you three years, again, so talking to an 18 year old saying this, this is shocking to them. Like if I tell you, if it takes you three years before you finally figure out what you want to do, and then you start that degree. <laughs> so now seven years from now, you're going to graduate with your university. How old are you going to be? Oh, wow. I'm going to be, I'm so old. Let me be 25. 
you've got 40 years now to do the, to spend the rest of your life doing exactly what you love because you spent three years finding it. Totally. And that's such a good point. Like I remember being that age and thinking exactly that way. I did. I was really interested in architecture. I loved architecture, still do. Um, and I don't know if I would have uh, been any good at it or not, but I had a passion for it. I really liked it. Um, I would flip through like home design books at like chapters or McNally Robinson, the bookstores in Winnipeg, like when I was a kid and I would just like look at the design layouts and I'm also interested in real estate and public transportation and just like architecture, urban planning, design, that whole thing. But then I found out that it was going to be, I don't know, seven years of university and I didn't like school so much that I'm like, no, I don't want to spend that much time uh, in, in school. Uh, however, I was only looking at the next seven years and not thinking of the next 40 or 50 years. And um, I think it's good too to know that if you work hard in the first like 10 years whatever, uh, throwing out arbitrary numbers, but if you work hard for the first 10 years right out of high school, you won't have to work as hard for the remaining 40. But if you don't work the first like 10 years hard, you're going to be working hard for the first 40 years of your life and maybe just continue down that road. And then you're just, you're caught up in, in a rat race. Yep. When's it easier to switch when you're, when you're 21 and you've got no response, very little responsibilities and you can, you're surviving on very little money or when you're 41 and you've got a wife and two kids and a mortgage. Totally. Like it's a lot easier to pivot when you're, when you're 21. So uh, yeah, absolutely. And be willing to pivot and be willing to um, like, just be willing to have patience. Like you don't need to know right away and just um, yeah, be willing like, and, and, and know that even if like for, for someone like you, if you know, architecture was this thing you enjoyed, uh, oh, well, you didn't, you didn't do an architecture degree. So obviously your life is ruined now and you'll never be able to use architecture ever again. No, like it just, it, it's going to be completely repurposed differently in your life. Maybe, maybe you're going to be building websites for architecture firms now, right. right? Like, like you just niche down into the things that you enjoy and the things that you care about and the things you're excited about. And you put all that together and if you become the, the, uh, the architecture, social media website builder for, 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 for British Columbia, well, you now, you, like, there's somebody that's going to pay you a lot of money to do that because you're very much exactly what they need. Totally. Absolutely. And the one thing that I do like um, about marketing and why I chose business is that it's very, uh, it's not tedious in the sense I'm not doing the same thing all, all the time, but any place that I've worked at in the marketing department, I've usually had to learn about all other aspects of a business mm -hmm. and work. I've worked closely with CEOs, uh, owners of businesses, and I've got to learn all aspects of the business because then that helps with marketing the business. Mm -hmm. if I don't know if I worked in the auto industry, if I don't know what's going on in the service department, then how am I supposed to market for them and the whole dealership. So, um, and similarly, my mom was a legal secretary at a law firm in Winnipeg. And I remember spending some time talking to one of the lawyers that she worked with for a number of years. 
And I remember him saying um, he encouraged me and I'm sure many others to become a lawyer because then you you learn about all the different, I can't remember what type of lawyer, but you learn about all the different aspects of other businesses. And uh, similarly, I've actually been able to benefit from that, but being in marketing. And, uh, and I can, if I want to say, be a website designer for uh, an architect firm, I would learn a ton about the architect firm from a distance, but very close as well. I'm kind of removed, um, but I'm also in it as well and learning all different aspects of the business. And I have a couple of clients right now that I'm working with and I'm learning so much about their business and how it runs. And um, I, I just get to be a fly in the wall and really observe and soak it all in. But then I'm also participating in in a really neat way. So um, yeah, that's a that's a great point that you brought up. Yeah. Um, I want to segue away from math slightly and, uh, and ask you about the business that you started up. And I was wondering if you could just share the name and, uh, and just how you got started and what, what you've been able to do with your business. Absolutely. So, um, so on the side, I, st I started up this program about a year and a half ago, uh, started up a website, uh, wepayoffdebt.ca. Um, that's debt, D-E-B-T. And um, the whole idea is uh, it, it's, a, it's about a personal finance blog and personal finance uh, help, trying to help people, um, you know, make it get a difference in their lives. Because uh, what happened with us was uh, when, when my eldest son was born in 2010, uh, my wife went on mat leave for a year, as we do in Canada, right? And, uh, but uh, her pay dropped in about half. It went down to about 55% of her normal income. Um, and she's, she's, a, she's a nurse, so uh, they actually had a benefit where it was 100% for the first few months, but then it dropped down after that. And when that happened, uh, before that, we had, been, you know, we had been making enough money and live, living frugally enough, because we had you know, recently graduated as students, that um, we were actually doing quite well financially. And we were paying down some debt. We paid off our first car, for instance, right? So it felt like things were really good. And so what we did is we made the stupid decision, completely stupid in, in hindsight, was say, well, you know what? We'll just do it. We'll just we'll just rack up debt. We'll just live the same way we're living right now, and we'll because you're only making half your income, so we'll rack up some debt, and that's fine. When you go back to work, we'll just pay it off. Well, uh, what ended up happening, of course, is is uh, we weren't very good planning, and uh, so my wife went back to work, and uh, and and then we put our son in daycare, and we didn't we didn't factor in the daycare costs. And so now all of a sudden, uh, all of our money that was going to debt repayment before was completely taken up. And in fact, uh, for the, we spent the next six years uh, really, really focusing on paying the, uh, trying to pay off uh, a line of credit, which was $12,000 at that point. And uh, by the time we, um, uh, uh, it was six years later, five and a half years later, something in that range, uh, we had worked so hard at paying that $12,000 off, it was now up at $17,000. <laughs> so we were negative. We made negative progress over those years. Um, so at that point now, I'm I'm a guy who loves podcasts. Thus, thus I I've listened to yours and I enjoy it. Uh, I've listened to a few, a lot of them over the years, and I came across uh, a podcast called the Dave Ramsey Show, 
And what this guy Dave Ramsey is, he's a personal finance guru in the States. Uh, who he's on the he's on the radio. Uh, he's a call-in show. He's on three hours a day, five days a week. He's been doing it for years and years and years. Uh, got millions of listeners all over the country, and I'd never heard of him in Canada. He's he's not very big in Canada at all for various reasons. But uh, one of the things that he has on the show is every hour, uh, once an hour, he has somebody come on. He most of the time in person, but sometimes over the phone too, where they will do what's called a debt-free screen. And what that is, is where they will actually, uh, Dave Ramsey will interview them and because they, they've paid off all their debt. They paid off all their consumer debt or maybe even their mortgage. And you'll interview them and talk to them like, how much money did you pay off? How much money were you making? Uh, where did you live? What did you do? Uh, right down to what was your biggest budget fight, right? These kind of questions. And, um, and you hear these. And, and at the time, about one in 10 of them were somebody that paid off their mortgage. And when we bought our mortgage, we got a zero down 40 year mortgage. Like my thinking was like, yeah, let's pay the minimum possible. I'll just, when we move, we'll roll the mortgage into, uh, into the next mortgage, right? I'll always have a mortgage. I'll die with a mortgage and it'll just get paid off. But I started hearing people who were paying off their mortgage. Um, and at the same time, people who were paying off way more debt than we had um, and doing it, making way less money than we made and doing so in like two years, a year and a half. And it was gone. I was like, like at the, at the first, I thought it must've been fake. I thought it must be like this, like he's the televangelist of, of, um, of money or something, right? Like he's hiring these people to, to lie about it. But after a while you realize that there's so much of it, you can't do that. And uh, the bottom line is no, people are actually doing this. And so uh, it got me excited enough because when I th started thinking about the fact, the idea of having no mortgage payment and how much money that would really free up to do, you know, amazing good in this world, right? Um, and so it got me excited for that. And I said, okay, let's do it. Um, and so that was in uh, uh, January, February, 2016. Uh, we got started on this plan. And then over the next uh, 25 months, we paid off all of our consumer debt uh, which was $41,000 uh, that it was the 17 on the line of credit plus a, a brand new van that we of course had to have brand new. Cause if, if you didn't know, there are no, there are no safe vans that are two years old. Uh, especially when you've got a new baby, <laughs> you have to buy a brand new van apparently cause you know, man, it's a big butt kicking on that. But uh, <laughs> so uh, paid off $41,000 and built up a $21,000 emergency fund all in 25 months. And that, so it was a $62,000 turnaround in 25 months without making any substantial raises without, you know, like I went out and made more money, but only because I really wanted to pay off the debt. And I, I, I picked up extra work. I, I started selling on Amazon, started selling on eBay, uh, started working little side things here and there just to make a little extra money. Um, and so it was, it was, it was a massive shift in our lives. So for the first time we, we were like that next summer, we bought a, new used car cash or we bought, we finally got blinds on our windows for the first time since we bought the house. Right. Like um, we did so many things we could never do. And now uh, it's been about a year and a half uh, since we started putting money into retirement, uh, putting money into our kids college fund. Uh, and, and we also now are paying off the house aggressively uh, to get mortgage free. And right now it, it's looking really good. And so if things don't change, which of course they will, uh, but if things don't change, uh, I'll be mortgage free before, before I'm 50. And uh, this is like, it's been this, such a massive turnaround uh, that I really wanted to do what I could to share with other Canadians that, hey, this can be done. 
there is hope to actually have some massive changes in your finances if you're not happy with where things are at. So uh, yeah, it's just been an absolutely uh, mind-blowing shift for us. Uh, and so um, that's why I started the website. So wepayoffdebt.ca, uh, definitely check it out. And I was going to offer uh, for anybody that's listening, if you wanted to, uh, I, I, can, I can definitely give you a, a little uh, a freebie for listening to Dean's podcast here. So I was thinking uh, if you head over to wepayoff.ca slash Dean, D-E-A-N, I'll put, I'll put a little freebie up there for you on, uh, on how to get started on this stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I highly recommend people check that out. And that is an amazing story. Um, it's definitely this topic, money and debt and finance is something that I, I was telling you before we started that I want to have more guests on the show and talk about this more. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of, and the, and the, previous episode I had with, um, her name is Jenna. Um, we talked briefly about money at the end of the episode and she had brought a good point up about how, um, a lot of people have just, it's very individualistic. Money means something different to each person. And so there's a lot of, um, positive and negative connotations around the word money and Mm -hmm. there's not enough conversations being had. Um, And I mean, we don't learn about money in school um, at all. And uh, so this is something that, uh, and yet we, we all rely on money and need to make money. So uh, (laughs) there's a huge disconnect there. And I think more people need to have these conversations. And so I'm so glad that you were willing to come on the the podcast and, and talk to us about your experience and also how others can get started on that. I told my wife that uh, we were going to be doing this and then she's like, oh, great. Now you're going to be all like gung ho and ready to pay off a whole bunch of debt. And we're different in terms of money. And that's my wife, right? And we have uh, we have our own conversations around how, what we want to do with the money that we make and, and where we want to put it. Um, and so I think this is just, it's a good relevant topic that I think a lot of people can benefit on. So, um, thank you for no, just no coming problem, and talking about the, it. Um, the, one of the interesting things is that, um, my story is very different, but also very similar to Dave Ramsey himself's story. Hmm. So he did the whole real estate thing when he got started. So his parents were both in the real in real estate, got his license at 18. He was, uh, and, and what he did by the time he was 26, he was a millionaire, had $4 million worth of real estate with uh, $3 million in debt. And so he was, he was and he's making a uh, quarter million dollars a year. And that was at 26 by 30, he was bankrupt. Mm. And, uh, and so he, he lost everything. And the way he describes it, it was that um, uh, 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 one, one of his banks got sold to another bank and the new bank looked down and that they, they saw that they had a 26 year old who owed, who owed them millions and millions of dollars and they didn't like this. They thought that that made them nervous. And so they did what they could and they pulled, they pulled his notes. And this began the unraveling of his whole, you know, all his, all his empires is, is, is all his uh, real estate. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, ended up uh, uh, going bankrupt. So um, in the end, then, uh, so two years after that, he, he, the way he describes it, he, he uh, went and learned God's and grandma's ways of fi- uh, personal finance, <laughs> right? The old tried and true methods. Um, and, uh, and things like just staying away from debt. And this is one of the big things he pushes. And, um, 
and that's the thing with me like i i i read rich dad poor dad right i know we, we've had conversations about that over the years mm-hmm. and i'm like that's that's who i used to be i would be the guy that like, yes if i can invest uh, if I can borrow at 6% and invest at 8%, I will do that every single time. Um, and, but now I'm like, man, it feels good being debt free. <laughs> it feels so amazing. And not to mention the fact that I had, I have absolutely no track record to look back on and say, man, it, yes, if I use debt, I will succeed because every time I use debt, it was always, it, it, it always blew up in my face yeah. as the bottom line. So um, uh, similar with credit cards, I'm, I'm credit card free now. I have, I've not used a credit card in over two years, two and a half years, I think. And, um, and it is possible in Canada, which is a, lo- a lot of people say it's not possible. I have, I have stayed in hotels. I have rented cars. I have, I have done, I've, I've, I've taken flights many times. Like I've done all the things that people see you say you can't do without, without a credit card and it's totally doable. So, um, so yeah, it, it's, that was the bottom line with me. Debt was not a blessing in my life. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy it's gone. And I'm, like I said, I'm super excited that my mortgage is going to be gone at some point too. So. Yeah. And during COVID with Canadians, a lot of homeowners were able to um, defer their mortgage payments. Um, we were one of them. And yeah. I, I can tell you that, Hitting pause for now, I know that we'll have to pay all the interest back once we go back into paying them. But once we um, have personally experienced not having a mortgage payment, the amount of money mm. that is free and available, um, <laughs> like we're going to be so impressive. bummed. We're going to be so bummed when we have to go back to mortgage payments because that's such a big chunk of um our finances and a lot of people's that uh, carry a mortgage. So uh, if there's anyone else that has deferred a mortgage payment during this time and seen, wow, like I have a lot of extra cash here. um, Imagine paying off your mortgage as soon as possible so that you can actually live your life with that. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. I'm not there. I'm like artificially experiencing what it's like right now, but uh, it's definitely been a big motivator um, for sure. It's just to, you know, live debt free, but how do you do that is, uh, is another thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so yeah, if anybody, like, I, can, I can put a little bit of a, of a primer video up with some, with some uh, information at, uh, at that website. I said, we pay off debt.ca slash Dean. And if you head over there, it'll give you a little bit of a rundown on, on um, how to get started if you're interested. Uh, and certainly anybody can always reach out to me if you, if you have any questions, if you want to know any more details about the way I do things or how I do things. Uh, you can always shoot me an email. You'll find me on social media if you just search up. I'm on all the main ones. Uh, and you can always email me, uh, rob at wepayoffdebt.ca. I'm happy to answer anybody's questions because it was, it was just that big a difference in our lives. I, I just want people to experience the same thing. Yeah, that's perfect. That's so great. And um, I think we'll, we'll wrap up in about uh, 10 minutes because I just got a text that I'll, I'll have to uh, get going soon. But um, is there anything that you wanted to talk to um, more at length on, on this topic or just encourage people to go check out the, the website? Mm. I think the no credit, like I'm just thinking the no uh, 
like living credit, like having no credit cards. I think that's a big one. I think everyone gets looped into have a credit card, but a lot of people do not know how to manage money. They don't let, know let how. Yeah. Talk a bit about that because that was that was something that was very special about our get out of debt journey because we used a credit card the whole time trying to get out of debt. Um, mm. And uh, what it was was I really loved my points. Uh, I, I had a PC Mastercard. I love ever since I was you know uh, uh, 21, I had that and I and I was able to use it and get it. And I, every three months or four months, I would get this you know free groceries basically superstore right. Um, and so what it was is I, I worked really hard to keep that. <laughs> I, I just, I wanted to do anything possible to keep that, but I also knew I had to make a budget. And at the same time, I have to track a budget. I actually need to know is my budget. Um, am I actually sticking to my budget or not? Right. And, um, and you can't do one without the other. That's just useless. And, and so I would try over and over and over to make a budget. And I, I was good at making budgets. Like I, like I was taught, I was one of the few that was actually taught how to make a budget in K to 12. Um, and because I'm a nerd, I got good at it, got an A in the course. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, when it came down to the real life, I, I could never make it work. And so months and months are going by and I can't for the life of me make it work. And uh, Dave Ramsey actually created a whole app for making budgets and it's called every dollar. And uh so at one point in the, in the journey, while I'm, while I'm listening to the Dave Ramsey show, I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's go, let's go check out his app and see, hopefully it'll fix all my problems. Right. Well, I get there and I, I download it and I play with it. And I'm like, I absolutely hate it. Like, it's just horrid. The, the layout and the, and the way it's run and it, oh, I, I can't stand it. And so I dropped it after a couple of days of trying it out. Like, no, this is garbage. And so, but but still I'm making budgets and I can't track them. I'm making a budget and I can't track it. I, I, I can't like every time I track for a week, I fall off the way. Uh, well now um, fast forward, we get out of debt and we still, again, we're using our credit card the whole time, but we paid off and I'll, I'll give you the numbers here and you see if you can see the difference. I paid, we paid off $39,000 in 17 months. And <laughs> When then that happened, we got we were all excited. We're like, "This is so huge! This is great!" We took a celebratory road trip to Fargo. Okay, now we live in Winnipeg. Fargo is about a three-hour drive, and uh, and so we went down to Fargo and we used our credit cards the whole way. And, and I budgeted the trip in the same way I'd been bu- I'd been trying to budget for the last two years or 18, 17 months, trying to get out of debt. Right? Uh, I I budgeted and I expected to come back with zero dollars, but I didn't. I expected to come back with no debt right? Because we just got debt free. I didn't want any more debt. Uh, we came Price. back from that trip with, with not a hundred, if it was, if it had been a hundred dollars of debt, I'd probably still be using a credit card today. <laughs> we came back with $1,800 of credit card debt that we couldn't pay. I, I was, I was completely flabbergasted. I was like, what in the world is going on here? And that was, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Cause for months I had been I'd been trying so hard to track with my credit card that I was even paying it off weekly at that point. I would use it, use it, use it, pay it off, use it, use it, pay it off, trying to like trying to find some way to keep it and still be able to track and manage my finances. And I could never do it well all the way up to being debt free now. Uh, and then coming back with about $2,000 of debt and it took about two months to pay that off. <laughs> and so therefore we paid off $41,000 in, uh, uh, in 19 months. So now uh, the credit cards are gone. Haven't used one since, since that trip. Uh, 
couple of months later, I'm still struggling with budgeting. I'm still trying to make a budget, but I thought, you know what, let's try uh, Dave Ramsey's app again. Because it's been probably about a year, year and a half since I tried it. Let's go check it out. And I downloaded it and uh, played with it. And at that point, absolutely fell in love with it. Hmm. It was it like, for some reason, the slight added complication of having the credit card, having this stuff go through the credit card bill, this stuff go through the main account and paying off the credit card with the main account, the slight extra complication of that made tracking impossible for me. And now that it was just the debit card, um, I have tracked pretty much every transaction that we've made since then. We've gotten better at budgeting over the, t- over the last you now two years. But at this point, like we don't, I, I don't mind calling myself a master at budgeting because we literally track more than 99% of every penny that comes in or leaves our hands. We, cho- we choose intentionally where it's going to go every single month. Before the month begins, it's written down. It has a job. It has a plan of where it's going to go. And we track it and we make sure it goes there. And it does go there every single month. So this is the thing is that it, it, it was, for me, that credit card was more than just um, the debt that went along with it. And by the way, I never had credit card debt. We always uh, uh, used the credit card for everything. And then I paid it off with our line of credit at the very least. Sometimes I paid off with our main card, but normally I would pay it off with the line of credit when it was due. And then we would just throw whatever extra money we had from our main account on the line of credit. Yeah. Right. And so I never paid a penny of the 19% interest I paid. Uh, on the line of credit was 16% or, or, or sorry, not, um, was 6%, uh, 5.5 or something like this, or around there, that kind of range. So it was very low interest, but that was the thing that went up. It was started at 12 and it made its way up to 17 over, over, uh, over five years, right? Six years. So anyway, the, the credit card was, was not like I, I, I had credit card debt, but it was on my line of credit. So I didn't, I never had credit card debt. Uh, but the, the, the thing about it was the extra complication, the slight complication, and it's very slight, but that slight complication was enough to make the process not dead easy. And when it was not dead easy, I didn't stick to it. Yeah. Now it's dead easy. And now at, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, I can be tired, lying in bed, and I can update my budget with, 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 with a brain power level two, right? Like a two out of 10. And it's completely tracked and it's completely accurate and it's always on the ball. Yeah, that's, that's so good. And for, I think another thing too, that I should have probably prefaced in the beginning of the conversation, I think I will in all conversations when talks about money is that you can throw any assumptions out the window when it comes to talking about money. Cause some people don't know. Um, like I just thought of, uh, I know what you're talking about when you're saying just moving, paying off your visa balance with your line of credit because I have a line of credit and I have a visa. And the reason why you do that for those who don't have a line of credit or know how it works compared to a visa is that you want to pay off. The visa has the high, typically has the highest interest rate. Mm-hmm. A line of credit has a lower interest rate. And um, after whatever, usually visas have uh, or credit cards have a, grace period of anywhere from typically around 20 days. Um, and then at the 20 day mark, whatever your balance on your visa is, you have to slap that high percentage, usually 20% on whatever is remaining. Sometimes. Right. And then you get um, that just gets added to the balance of the credit card and a credit line. Um, you get charged a lower interest rate 
and daily. So whatever the balance is, you start paying interest on that. But the way that they calculate it is, I don't know the formula, but I know they divide it over like, uh, I think like a 365 day period or something. And it works out to be a very, very, very small amount. So it's more beneficial for people to, if you have a credit card, if you're trying to pay down credit card debt, to have a line of credit to pay off so you're not getting dinged with high interest because you just you you might be making some payments but then it's so high and the interest rate is so high that you're you're not going anywhere um it's just building up so it's good to um i just wanted to talk a little bit about that because some people don't know how a credit line works yeah and it's good that's good to bring up the 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 thing was though and i know we're almost out of time so i'll make this quick but the yeah no worries um as the math guy I, I, I totally knew all that, right? And I thought that was it, mm-hmm. right? Like, but w- what I've discovered is that money especially is way more behavior than it is head knowledge. Way more behavior. I mean, even, even things like look it up. When you use a credit card, you pay 12 to 18% more. Not because of money, but because you actually buy more. Oh, right. Okay? Like, like we are such uh, uh, irrational animals. The, my favorite study was the study where they showed that, or McDonald's, uh, when they put salad on the menu, people are way more likely to buy burgers. No way. <laughs> Look it up. It's a crazy stat where um, if you take half the McDonald's in the, in the country and put salads on them and the other half of the country, no salads on the menus. And one with salads on the menus will sell more burgers, sell more fries, up, upsize the fries more often. And the, the justification basically comes down to this idea of um, people come in, they look at the menu, they see the salad, they consider the salad. They say, hmm, I could have a salad today. No, no, I don't think I want a salad today. Hey, you know, I'm actually a really good individual with my, my eating. I, I, you know, I really can think about the things I, yes, I will upsize those fries. Thank you so much. Like, that's basically the way that people think is it's uh, this whole field of behavioral economics. So such cool stuff there Um, where (laughs) with a credit card, like, like if you, when you go to a credit card, like when you go to a a vending machine and it takes a dollar bill and you have to find a dollar first or $5 bill or whatever you've got, and you have to get it in there and it spits it back out and you put it in again and it spits it back out and you finally get your drink. You're just happy and you walk away. When it takes a tap from a card, you get a drink, you get chips, you get, <laughs> right? You're completely happy to spend lots of money because it's easy. When you have an Amazon Prime membership, how easy is it? Oh, wow, Cheerios are on sale on Amazon. Click, bought, right? It's, so this is the thing. It, the, the data will show that you spend up to 100% more when you use a credit card, in fact. It's, it's absolutely crazy. So. Uh, so much of this is not math. So much of it is total behavior. And so getting control of the behavior is the biggest issue. And that's, that's what we finally got control over. Yeah, that's such a key point. And uh, being in marketing, that makes me want to yes. now study, <laughs> study a lot more, uh, spend some time researching on behavioral economics um, and just, yeah, how, how people, what, what people are actually doing. Um, that's that's a fascinating stat. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, I love the McDonald's study. Is one of my favorites. It's crazy. 
Yeah, no kidding. Well, I'm sorry that we have to cut this one short. I know we had a number of other topics that we wanted to um, to go over, but um, I, again, I highly encourage people to check out. Um, it's we pay we pay off debt.ca. Did yep. I get that right? Slash, slash Dean. Yes. Slash Dean. So yeah, check that out. And, uh, and I hope that um, people just start having the conversation more about money with um, whoever in your life. Talk like it's so nice to have um, friends that you can talk about money with. And, uh, and it, the more conversations that we can have around it, the more, um, textured and layered it can get. And, uh, and I think just making things simple to understand uh, around finance and money, I think is definitely something that I want to spend more time doing. So we'll have to do a round two and, uh, and dive into some of these, these topics, um, because it's, it's very valuable. I think a lot of people will take even the short stuff that we did talk about, hopefully uh, find it valuable. So thank you so much for for your time. Absolutely. And yeah, you're absolutely right. People, I, I, what I found is Canadians are even more willing to talk about sex, about marriage, about, about parenting difficulties. Like they'll talk about anything before they'll talk about money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for, for talking about money with me and, uh, and we'll, we'll do a round two soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Dean. Thank you. Hey folks, Dean here. Thanks so much for joining this episode. And again, welcome to the Dean Douglas Show. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Money is definitely a topic that I'm wanting to talk about more on the podcast. So if you know anyone that's interested and would be open to talking about money, please put them in contact with me. I'd love to have them on the podcast. This is something that I feel like affects everyone and very few people actually have conversations, healthy conversations around money. And uh, I'm no expert by any means, but I do want to get a lot more comfortable talking about money and uh, would would love to do so with others as well. And uh, it's something that I feel is very important. And uh, I hope you guys do check out www.wepayoffdad.ca forward slash Dean for a couple of those freebies that uh, we talked about in the episode. And, uh, and check Rob out. He's got a lot of information on his website. <clears throat> and feel free to also get in touch with me on Instagram at Dean Douglas Show to let me know what you thought about this episode. And if you want more episodes where we talk about money and would also like to hear a round two on, um, on Rob and I talk about all things money and other things um, as well on the podcast. That's it for me. Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you guys have a fantastic day. Until next time, take care.